live from the basement. This is Cellar Dweller Sports. And we're back with another edition of Cellar Dweller Sports featuring K-Dog and G-Mac. Welcome back to the Cellar. We're here with the New York Jets. Today's rundown is the NCAA three-game picks, NFL three-game picks, Jets and Giants preview and rewind, top five worst, top five, another edition of the top five, and K-Dog's fantasy minute at the end. So we'll start out with the NCAA three-game picks, and we'll start out with last week's picks to see how we fared last week. And we'll start with the big 12 game of the week. It was Iowa state versus Texas. Iowa state came into Texas looking to end the champ big 12 championship hopes for Texas. And they did Iowa state won 23 to 20 led by Brock Purdy with 312 yards passing, one touchdown, zero INTs, as well as Brees Hall rushing with 91 yards and a touchdown. The leading wide receiver for Iowa State was Charlie Kohler with 131 yards. That's good for 22 yards per reception. On the other side for Texas, Sam Ellinger had a decent game with 298 yards and a touchdown. Bijan Robinson only had 54 yards on 16 carries. That's good for 3.4 yards a carry, which is not good rushing-wise. It was a battle of the defenses for most of the game, and Iowa State proved that they are the better team and have the better defense. Iowa State won 23-20. I picked Texas to cover the spread, so I moved to 0-1 on the week. Oh, and one on the week because you picked Texas. Well, yep. I, I unfortunately also picked Texas. Um, I thought uh, because it was senior day that uh, Texas Sam Ellinger would come out with guns blazing and putting up some numbers against Iowa State, the Iowa State team, the Cyclones. Uh, however, you know, Texas had the lead for uh, the vast majority of the game and then, you know, gave it up uh, towards the end of the game. Uh, the, the Texas D had trouble covering some of the, you know, Cyclones wide receivers. And, you know, that was the, the difference in, in the game. And unfortunately, uh, you know, Texas and Sam Ellinger and their offense couldn't muster up one last drive to take the lead and, and win the game. Uh, but it was a, an entertaining game. It knocked Texas out of any chance, any chance and hope of being in the Big 12 championship game uh, and, you know, positioned Iowa State very well to be in that Big 12 championship game, uh, either against Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. Yes, that is true. So, uh, oh, so I was 0-1 as well. So I, we're both 0-1 so far on the week as we move to the ACC matchup of the week, which was Notre Dame versus North Carolina. And it was a, it was a great game for most of the, for most of the game until the end where UNC did not score in the second half. And 
Notre Dame scored two touchdowns in the second half, and that's where they pulled away. It was 17 all at the half. It was looking like a great game, but then at the at the end, UNC could not score. Ian Book for Notre Dame had 279 yards and a touchdown, and he tied the uh, Notre Dame record for most wins in the history at 29. So next week he'll be looking for 30 wins. This week he'll be looking for 30 wins. Sam Howell for UNC had 211 yards and a touchdown. They both performed basically the same, in my opinion. But as we move to the rushing, that's where it all fell apart for UNC, as Kyron Williams for Notre Dame had 124 yards and two touchdowns, which was good. He's really good. Which was good for 5.4 yards a carry. Michael Carter for UNC only had 57 yards on eight carries. Uh, Receiving-wise for Notre Dame, they also had Javon McKinley with 135 yards. That's good for 23 yards per reception. So Notre Dame just – their stars proved why Notre Dame should be in the top four right now and looking for a spot in the playoffs. Notre Dame wins 31-17. I picked Notre Dame, and that moves me to one and one on the week. Yeah, I also picked Notre Dame. Uh, I My score, my prediction of the score was Notre Dame 31, UNC 21. So I was in the ballpark with the prediction and the margin of victory. You know, the game unfolded as I thought uh, it would. Uh, you know, UNC has a, they, they have a pretty dynamic offense. And, you know, they, they tested uh, Notre Dame early in the first half. I think Notre Dame was a little bit surprised at their speed and, um, you know, how, how well their, uh, how potent their offense was with, uh, co- you know, quarterback Sam Howell. You know, he was dynamic. He had a good game. And, you know, uh, Notre Dame made some adjustments in the second half. They, you know, they wore down uh, North Carolina. North Carolina couldn't muster up any offense in the second half. And, you know, Ian Book, as you stated, uh, showed why he should be a Heisman uh, candidate. I think I know a lot of people don't think he is a Heisman candidate, but, you know, he's really uh, matured as the season progressed. He looked great in the Clemson game. And, you know, in this kind of game, which was a trap game for uh, Notre Dame, uh, they, which they, you know, if they lost, they would have been in, uh, you know, in, in trouble as far as the big ACC championship goes, but um, they uh, took care of business. Uh, they looked solid against a, a surprisingly tough UNC team. Ian Book looked great. Their running back, Notre Dame's running back, as you talked about, looks really good. He looks like uh, he can play at the next level. So, you know, Notre Dame took care of business. I picked them to cover the spread. They did cover the spread, and I'm one and one for the week. Yep. So we were both one and one on the week after this. But now we'll move on to the SEC matchup of the week, which was the Iron Bowl. Number 22 Auburn played number one Alabama in Alabama, Tuscaloosa, not not in Auburn. But uh, this game was not even close whatsoever. Auburn won. Uh, Auburn lost to Alabama. Alabama won. 42 to 13 and absolutely and it was it was just a terrible game from the start Bo Nix he showed why 
Auburn can't get anywhere right now. He had 227 yards and two INTs, zero touchdowns. Mac Jones for Alabama shows why he should be in the Heisman conversation. 302 yards, five touchdowns, zero INTs. Najee Harris rushing had 96 yards and a touchdown on 11 carries. And the story was receiving-wise, Devontae Smith, seven receptions, 171 yards, 25, 25 average per reception, two touchdowns. He's, he's going to be a star in, in the big leagues in the NFL. I think that Alabama is the favorite to win the championship right now. They won 42 to 12, securing their place in the 42, 13, securing their place in the SEC championship. And I won this game, moving me to two and one on the week. So you picked Bama to cover in the Iron Bowl? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, I didn't pick Alabama to cover in the Iron Bowl. Um, I thought Auburn would be much more competitive than they were in this rivalry game. You know, they, they typically are. I, I thought, you know, this would be a 13-point game and predicted Bama would win 37-24. But Bo Nix and the Auburn offense, Tank Bigsby, they couldn't muster up any offense against the Alabama D. You talked about Mac Jones, who certainly has to be uh, one of the favorites for the Heisman, uh, more so than Najee Harris. I, I don't think Najee Harris is a... Uh, a, a, a true Heisman contender, uh, but Mac Jones uh, is solidifying his validity to be a Heisman winner. Uh, and you talked about his stats in this game. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, I picked Auburn. Uh, they weren't competitive. Bama showed why they have to be considered the favorite to win the national championship this year, rolling over Auburn. Um, you know, Bo Nix, as you talked about, two INTs, he, that, that's been his problem this year. He's only a sophomore, but that's been his problem. He uh, isn't managing the football. He has a tendency to turn the ball over. You know, if you turn the ball over against teams, you're not going to win, especially against a team like Alabama that, you know, legitimately can win the national championship. So uh, I didn't think Auburn would win, but I thought it'd be close. So there was no rolling of Toomer's corner this year. And um, I'm one and two for the week. And that makes me five and nine for the season. Oh, man. So, oh, man. you know, I'm running out of time here to get to 500 in the, in the college ranks. So, well, I'm, I'm blowing you out. I'm 11 and three on the week on the season. Wow. You're 11, three on the season. Yep. So, so you were nine and two going into this week. Yeah. Holy mackerel. Holy geez. Well, I can't, I don't think I can catch her. There aren't enough weeks left in the season. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, well, we got, we, we got at least there's one more week and we got a couple of chip games and then we got the, uh, the, playoffs. the two, two playoff games and the championship game. You know, we're not, I don't think we're going to pick any of these, some of these silly bowl games. Most of them are being canceled anyway, but yeah. So uh, now that we're done with the, NCAA three-game picks from last week. We'll move on to this week, and we'll start out with the SEC game of the week, which is number five, Texas A&M, taking on Auburn. And this game is interesting because Auburn just 
got schlacked by Alabama last week. Texas A&M had a really close game against the terrible Tigers. Fortunately, they're doing bad this year, but uh, they made Which it close. Tigers? Which the LSU Tigers? Tigers. The, the LSU, LSU Tigers, Tigers against okay. A&M. Okay, well, you, you got to uh, be yeah, specific yeah, there. Be because specific. There's yeah, more. There's Auburn, more that there's. Yes, there's good Tigers and there's bad Tigers, right? The Clemson well, not Tigers this year. Are there's good. there's not good Tigers this year. Clemson. Well, the Clemson Tigers are good. They're not that good. Oh, Clemson, yeah, Auburn, yeah, yeah. Auburn Tigers are not good. Uh, Auburn Tigers may be better than the LSU Tigers. Yeah, they they probably are, but uh, uh, anyhow, okay. Texas A and M had. I just wanted that clarification. Yeah, yeah, Thank you. yeah. Texas A and M had a close game against LSU, but they prevailed. They came out with the win. I don't think that's solid. That can't help solidify their spot in the playoffs. So they have to do good this week against Auburn, and Auburn has Bo Nix. So. I don't think they could win Texas A&M. I'm going to pick Texas A&M to cover the spread of minus six and win by two touchdowns. So you're taking A&M minus six and you're calling two touchdown victory for A&M, huh? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I got to be pretty darn good this week to try to catch up with you again. I'm, I'm running out of chances. So I, I got to be almost perfect this week to, uh, make this a competition in the college football ranks here. Mm-hmm. So, so six and one A&M at five and three Auburn Tigers at Jordan Hare stadium. It's senior day at Auburn and a must win for A&M if they want to keep their slim playoff hopes alive, because they think that they're going to be in the top four and, you know, they're not going to be in the top four, but anyway, Auburn comes into this game, as you stated, off a 42-13 route by Bama in the Iron Bowl. Bama ran for almost 150 yards, and Mac Jones threw for over 305 TDs, as we talked about earlier in the show. Auburn ran the ball pretty well for over 120 yards behind Tank Bigsby and Anthony Richards. Bo Nix threw for 227, two INTs, as you talked about. So Bama's D held Nix in check. Meanwhile, AM beat LSU 20 to 7 at home. Now, AM shut LSU out through three quarters before giving up a TD in the fourth quarter. AM's offense wasn't great against LSU. You know, that has been giving up big yards and points to every team they've played. So, AM only had 267 yard, total yards, you know, the, which was the same as LSU. LSU generated 267 yards of offense, so they had no offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference was LSU had five turnovers. You know, the fact that the game was this close is surprising since LSU had five turnovers. You can't, you can't win turning it over five times. Auburn beat A&M last year at A&M 28-20. Auburn's D is suspect. They struggle against the run, and the offensive line isn't great, struggling to get pressure on the QB. This was evident against Bama. However, A&M isn't Alabama, as evident by the game last week against LSU when the offense struggled. A&M has a senior QB mond and pretty strong rushing game. The A&M offensive line should control the line of scrimmage, giving A&M the advantage over the Auburn D. Auburn and Bond have been consistent 
I mean, uh, Auburn and Bo Nix have been inconsistent. That's been their problem. Bo Nix is very capable QB. He can beat you with his legs. He has improved his passing, becoming more accurate passer, and he's thrown for at least 220 yards in each of the last five games. Auburn also has a pretty good running game led by Tank's big, Tank Bigsby, who will need a big game for the Tigers to compete. If Bo Nix can eliminate the turnovers and make the passes when he needs to, I think Auburn can win. It's senior day for Auburn, and I think Auburn will go out with a bang, upsetting AM and derailing any shot AM has at the playoff. Wow. Sorry, Jumbo Fisher. I think Bo and Tank run well against the AMD. I think Auburn has enough D to keep this game close. If it's close late, Auburn wins. I'm picking Auburn to win outright, K-Dog. Outright. 27-23. War Eagle flies. Wow, that's... that's, that's bold pick. That's a That's bold, bold pick. pick. That's I got to be bold. Pick. I got to pick bold. I got to make up games. Yeah, that's a that's a really bold pick as a GMAC picks the Auburn Tigers to beat A&M. So we're already different already in the War first Eagle, game. baby. We're already different in the first game. As we'll move on to the next game, and it is a Big Ten matchup. Number 12, Indiana versus number 16, Wisconsin. Indiana comes into Wisco playing their hearts out as as they only have lost one game to Ohio State. Indiana, unfortunately, lost Michael Penix to an ACL injury last game, which is not good for their case. But Wisconsin's offense is not as terrible, led by Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz is not that good. So we'll see what the uh, Utah transfer Jack Tuttle can do for IU as they still have great wide receivers in Watt Fillier and uh, Fry Fogel. I think that they could still win this game rushing-wise too. Stevie Scott is a huge running back for them as well. I think that Indiana is going to cover the 13-and-a-half spread of Wisconsin and I I don't think they I don't know if they'll win I don't think they'll win I think Wisconsin will win but I think Indiana will cover the spread maybe lose by six points Wisconsin could get the win but Indiana is going to cover the spread okay so you're picking Wisconsin to win the game but Indiana cover them the 13 points yes okay all right So this is a Big Ten matchup between two of the better programs this year in the Big Ten, although I think this is a down year for the Big Ten. This game has lost a little luster due to the injury of IUQB Michael Penix, as you previously discussed, who I think was a he was having a Heisman candidate year. So obviously that's a setback for the Hoosiers. Indiana is coming off a win against Maryland 27-11, a game that really wasn't closed with the Terps scoring a TD late in the fourth quarter. Hoosiers passing attack took a step back, only passing for 115 yards, 
of which 84 yards were by Penix before his departure. Indy ran for 243 yards and three touchdowns led by Stevie Scott going for 80 plus uh, yards going for 100 yards total. So Indy didn't have, a, have to pass against Maryland, but they can't be one dimensional against Wisconsin. Meanwhile, Wisconsin hasn't played since November 21st when they last lost to Northwestern 17 to seven. The story in that game was five turnovers by the Badgers. QB Mertz had three INTs and they lost two fumbles. Can't win games with five turnovers, K-Dog. The D was pretty good holding Northwestern running game to only 24 yards rushing. Hoosier strength was their passing game, but without Penix, that will take a significant step back. Hoosiers ranked 12th in the Big 12 and, and Big 10 in rushing. Not good when you're playing with the backup QB. Meanwhile, Whiskey is first in run D, which doesn't bode well for the Hoosiers, whom will need to rely heavily on the run and ranks first in every Big 10 run D category but they only played three games. So that may have something to do with it. Nevertheless, Wisconsin has tough D. The Badgers used the run to spark their offense, ranking third in the Big 10. Indiana ranks sixth in the run and pass D in the Big 10. As a result, I expect this to be a defensive dominated game with both teams trying to run the ball. Stevie Scott will need to be really good in this game although Jack Tuttle is better than your average backup. Whiskey turns the ball over a lot, and IU leads the Big Ten in forced turnovers. If Mertz and the Badgers don't turn it over, they will win. For some reason, I don't know why, but I think the Badgers will manage the ball, and it will result in a Whiskey victory over IU. The prediction is Wisconsin 24, Indiana 13. Bucky the Badger is jumping around in Madison on Saturday. It doesn't make up for Marquette's buzzer beater over Wisconsin in basketball, but it will have to do. Wow. So we're already different on two games. Different on two games. Oh, Let's man. go Bucky the Badger. Bucky the Badger. So the Big Ten... I got IU covering the spread, but you have Wisco winning outright. So I, I have Wisconsin covering the spread. It's yep. it's going to be a low scoring game. You know, it'll kind of it'll probably be pretty boring for the most part. But yeah, so we'll see what happens there as we'll move on to our final game, which is in the ESPN primetime game. This is it the is best game of the day, dog. It, it, it might be. It might be best game of the day. It is number 13, BYU, taking on number 18, Coastal Carolina. Oh, boy, Coastal Carolina. Here we go. Yeah, so uh, Coastal was supposed to play Liberty, but Liberty had a few uh, COVID positives, so they replaced Liberty with BYU, and Coastal is now taking on BYU. This is a huge matchup for both of these teams as they have yet to face, like, a decent team. And now they are both in the top 25, which gives them even bigger speculation for 
seeing if they could be the team that they think they are. And Coastal Carolina is running out a freshman in Grayson McCall, and BYU has a Heisman candidate, Zach Wilson, at the helm for quarterback. I think I'm going with Coastal Carolina to cover the minus 10.5 spread and beat BYU on their BYU in Coastal. Myrtle Beach is going to be going crazy. Uh, Coastal covers the spread. So you're picking Coastal Carolina. Are you picking them to win the game or just cover the line? Just cover the line. I don't know if they'll win. All right. So you're picking Coastal to cover, but you think BYU is going to win the game? Possibly. Possibly. I think it's either or. You're not picking Coastal outright, are you? I want to hear. Are you picking Coastal Carolina outright? Yeah, I'll pick them. Okay. So you're picking Coastal Carolina to win outright against BYU. Yeah. Oh, that's bold. That I is feel bold. I feel bold. Okay. Well, before I get into the the preview, K Dog. Yep. Uh, I I know everybody wants to know what a Chanticleer is because I'm sure most people don't know what a Chanticleer is. Do you know what a Chanticleer no. is, K Dog? No. I All do right. Not. Let me educate you on what a Chanticleer is. So Chanticleer comes from the nun's priest tale within the Canterbury Tales. Now you heard of Chaucer and the Canterbury Tales, correct? I know you have. You're, yeah. You're pretty, you're pretty bright kid, right? So in the liter- literary arena, Chaucer wrote the Canterbury Tales and within the Tanner Ca- Canterbury Tales, there's a story, the nun's priest tale. So in the nun's priest tale, there's a Chanticleer and the Chanticleer is a proud, fierce rooster who dominates the barnyard, Ken. Mm -hmm. So, you know, DeChanticleer is a rooster in the nun's priest tale that dominates the barnyard. So you may say, gee, that is similar to South Carolina's Gamecock mascot. Seems quite similar, you know, the scared chicken. Yeah, the scared chicken, right? So why? Yes, it is similar to South Carolina's Gamecock mascot. I'm going to tell you why. Coastal's nickname used to be the Trojans. That was their nickname at one time. And then in the 60s, it was changed to the Chanticleers because Coastal Carolina served as a two-year branch of the University of South Carolina. And the people pushed for a nickname more closely related to South Carolina's Gamecock. Wow. Thus, the name Chanticleer was born. Wow, that's interesting. So that's why they're the Chanticleers, and that's why it's very similar to South Carolina Gamecock's mascot. So I thought it was very interesting because when I'm looking at it, I'm like, that looks like South Carolina's Gamecock. So it's very interesting, but Coastal doesn't have Sandstorm. So they have a very similar mascot, but they don't have Sandstorm. Mm -hmm. The best college football intro as previewed on uh, a prior program. So now you know what a Chanticleer is and where the name came from. So getting to the game, Mm K-Dog, we we got the number eighth ranked BYU Cougars at 9-0. 
minus 11 points. We got the number 14, Coastal Carolina, Chanticleers at 9-0. The ballot battle of the undefeateds. BYU travels to Myrtle Beach at the last minute to play Coastal. The Cougars are a substitute, as you said, for Liberty, who had to cancel due to the COVID. This shows you how desperate BYU is to play someone who uh, they hope will allow them to move up in the rankings and get into the college football playoff. Although Coastal is 9-0, I don't think winning this game will help BYU and their uh, chances of getting into the football playoff because I don't think, mm -hmm. you know, unless they beat Ohio state, they're, they're not uh, getting into the football playoff. Right. So nothing against coastal they're undefeated, but they are not an sec powerhouse or even a big 10 mid tier team. I think it's an intriguing game. Honestly, I K dog, I haven't seen either of these teams play and uh, neither team has played a team that you would take note of, but they're both undefeated. So you got to give them their due K dog. Mm -hmm. So looking at this game, BYU has beat Navy. Okay. Well, Navy's not that great this year. They beat Houston who's ranked and they beat Boise state who was ranked at the time when they beat them. You know, they come into this game routing North Alabama 66 to 14, but you know, there's no use analyzing the North Alabama game because it's not really relevant. I mean, who's North Alabama? BYU is led by QB Zach Wilson. He ranks fourth in the FBS in yards per game, eighth in the FBS passing yards per game, and, and BYU is fourth in the FBS in points per game. They rank 31 in rushing also, so they have a balanced attack. BYU is led by Tyler Algier with eight, 851 yards rushing. Defensively, BYU ranks in the top 10 K-Dog in the FBS in points per game allowed, rush yards allowed, and total yards allowed. They only rank 31st in the FBS in pass yards per game. Meanwhile, the Chanticleers beat Kansas by 15 points, first game of the season. You know, it has a win over, uh, you know, has a win over who is uh, Kansas, who uh, Louisiana, I should say, who is having a good season, beating mm -hmm. them by three points. So, you know, I guess that's a quality win, Louisiana quality win. They're ranked. Yeah, they're uh, Cajuns. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, their opponents are really weak. Coastal puts up big numbers, as you stated, by uh, quarterback Grayson McCall. And uh, they run the ball really well with C.J. Marbell and uh, Reese White. Of offensively, Coastal ranks 16th in the FBS in points per game, 19th in rush yards per game, and 26th in total yards per game. Defensively, they're in the top 20 in uh, the FBS in yards per game allowed, pass yards a game allowed, and points allowed per game. They rank 44th in rush yards allowed per game. So statistically, these two teams are closely matched on paper. Again, the strength of schedule is suspect with both these teams, K-Dog. But I think BYU's schedule might be a little bit more difficult than Coastal's. Maybe. Not sure. Mm -hmm. I, like predict, I, I like pedigree programs in this type of game. But 
You cannot take Coastal Carolina lightly. They might catch lightning in a bottle and win this game. They could. I think BYU will dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball with their respective lines. You know, Zach Wilson, people may think he may be a special quarterback. I don't know. I've never seen him play, so I'm going to find out. And uh, the defense hasn't given up more than 300 yards in a game. But again, you know, who has BYU played? Not really anybody. So I'm worried about Coastal's freshman QB in a game of this magnitude, although he's been very solid all year. And, you know, they can run the ball. They can run the ball, Coastal Carolina. Mm-hmm. So most people seem to think this game is going to be close. I, I think it could. I think it will be close too. I don't think uh, BYU is going to blow them out. Um, so I'm picking BYU to win this this game. I'm picking BYU to win 38 to 27. You know the football community is going to take notice of BYU as when Ty Detmer was at the helm of the team. Let's take BYU serious if they win this game, and I expect they will. Move over, Ohio State. Maybe BYU will play Ohio State next week when Michigan cancels the game against Ohio State. So let's let's prepare for a matchup of two undefeateds, BYU, my prediction to win against Coastal, and Ohio State next week when uh, Harbaugh calls up and, you know, day and says, oh, we can't play and they don't have a game <laughs> because they need games, Ohio State, or else they can't be in this playoff. I don't care what anybody says. So, you know, let's do that game. Let's prepare for that game. You know, and it's a good story for Coastal and a good season, but I, I just don't think they're ready for prime time. I think BYU will win the game. I think it'll be close, but BYU will win the game and they'll cover the line. Wow. Okay. So we're different on all three games this week. All three. Well, you know, I got to get back in this thing here. Yep. That is true. Not uh, that I knew who you were p- picking uh, before we went into this, but you know, I, 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 I got to go with what I think is going to happen. Yep. So uh, now that we're done with the NCAA, we'll move on to the NFL three game picks and we'll start off with last week's games as our first game of the week was the Titans versus the Colts. And I picked the Colts to cover the, I picked the Titans to cover the spread and win the game. And they did. They absolutely routed the Colts 45 to 26. It was led by Derrick Henry, 27 carries for 178 yards and three touchdowns. That's good for 6.6 yards per carry. Absolutely insane. Ryan Tannehill played well, 221 yards and a touchdown. Phillip Rivers for the Colts had 295 yards, two touchdowns, and one INT. Naheem Hines, rushing-wise for the Colts, did not play well, did not fare well. 10 carries, 29 yards, good for 2.9 yards per carry. A.J. Brown was the story for for the Titans, 98 yards and a touchdown on four receptions. And the Titans won 45 to 26, moving me to 1 and 0 on the week. Yeah, so I, I know you picked the um, 
Titans in that game. I did not pick the Titans yeah. in that game. I picked the Colts in that game, uh, you know, because uh, at the before the season started, I picked the Colts to win that division. So obviously I have to pick the Colts to win that game. Uh, I lost that game. Uh, the, the Colts did not cover. They did not win the Colts. Uh, the Titans handily beat the Colts, which I was shocked at. You know, Derrick Henry was a monster in that game. The uh, Colts without DeForest Buckner, you know, their defense just was soft and uh, couldn't stop the run or the pass. You know, basically the Titans did whatever they want, wanted set up by Derrick Henry's running uh, and that set up uh, Tannehill and his passing. So big win for the Titans who take sole possession of first place in that division. And um, although I did pick the Titans to make it to the playoffs this year, I just picked the Colts to win that division over the Titans. So 0-1 this week, K-Dog. Yep, you're 0-1 as we move on to our 425 game, which was the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Chiefs won 27-24, but did not cover the spread. The Chiefs win 27-24, Patrick Mahomes, 462 yards, three touchdowns, zero INTs. Rushing was not a factor for both teams at all. But the story was Tyreek Hill of the Kansas City Chiefs, 13 receptions, 269 yards, and three touchdowns. That is just insane, absolutely insane. They went up big in the first half. But then the uh, but then the Buccaneers came storming back with two fourth quarter touchdowns by Mike Evans. He also had a day with two touchdowns on on three receptions. But the Chiefs won. They did not cover the spread though. The spread was minus three and a half, and they only won by three, moving me to one and one on the week. Yeah, um, this game was a closer game than I expected. I I picked the Chiefs to win and cover the spread against Brady's Buccaneers. And early it looked like the Chiefs were going to, you know, run away with this game and win big like I expected to, you know. And then uh, they let the Bucs come back and score some points to make it close. So, uh, yes, I lost that game as well. Brady's Buccaneers made it made it a game and um, the Chiefs didn't cover cover the line although they went out early as you stated and uh, they 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 couldn't cover Tyreek Hill who had a monster day and uh, you know Mahomes had a monster day Uh, but you know give give the uh, Brady Bucks credit there are no moral victories in football, but uh, give them credit. They didn't get blown out of the building in their own uh, venue. Uh, however, they still lost the game. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are going to make a lot of noise in the playoffs, but we'll see. So K-Dog, unfortunately, 0-2 for the week. Yeah, wow. You're in trouble. As I'm we in move, trouble. As we move on to our – Final game, which was the 8-20 game, an NFC North matchup, the Bears versus the Packers as the Bears travel to Lambeau to take on the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, 211 yards, four touchdowns, zero INTs. Trubisky played 
in as a, as the starter this week for the Bears. 242 yards, three touchdowns, two INTs. Rushing-wise for the Bears, Montgomery had 103 yards. Aaron Jones for the Packers had 90 yards on 17 carries. The story was Aaron Rodgers as he had four touchdowns. The Packers won 41 to 25, absolutely destroying the Bears, solidifying their spot for first place in the NFC North. The Bears moved to five and six. Packers moved to eight and three. The Packers covered the spread, and I picked the Packers, moving me to two and one on the week. You make you picked the Packers to cover the spread? Yeah. Okay. So what, what was your record for the week then? Two and one on the week, 19 and 17 on the season. Uh, two and one on the week. Well, I was 0-2 going into this game, and it was 0-3 for me. Huh. I, I picked the uh, Packers to win the game, but I picked the Bears to cover the point spread. I thought the, even with Mitchell Trubisky and, you know, how bad the Bears offense is and how bad their quarterback situation is, I thought Khalil Mack and the the uh, Bears would, you know, give Aaron Rodgers a lot of trouble. Uh, but that was not the case. Aaron Rodgers lit up their defense, you know, and they handed the Bears a solid defeat. You know, and the Bears are they're in trouble. They're, they're in trouble. They're going the wrong way. They started hot. They started off the year hot. And you're big surprise the first four or five weeks. In the last few weeks, they've been, you know, what I think most people expected them to be, which is good because I didn't pick them to make the playoffs. I only The, the only team I picked, uh, you know, my pick wasn't any good because I picked Minnesota to win that division. Huh. And I didn't pick the Bears or Green Bay to make the playoffs out of that division. So, you know, my pick for – the NFC uh, North isn't, isn't any good at, at this point in time. So, uh, 0-3, K-Dog, 0-3, 0-3 for the week. I was over 500 at 17 and 16. Now I'm back under 500 at 17 and 19 for the season. So I got some work to do. The good thing is, K-Dog, is it's a new week. And I'm undefeated. So what do we got this week? So this week we have the one o'clock game, which is the Browns versus the Titans. And the Browns go into Tennessee, into Nashville to take on the Titans. As both of these teams are eight and three, looking to move into nine and three territory as the Titans are first in the AFC South. The Browns are second in the AFC North as they are looking for a push. The Browns are looking for a push to try and catch the Steelers. I, I think the Titans are the better football team right now, led by Derek Henry, Ryan Tannehill, Corey Davis, and AJ Brown. Baker Mayfield is leading the Browns into this one with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt rushing-wise. Receiving-wise, they have Rashard Higgins and Jarvis Landry. But I think the Titans are the better team. The Titans are four-point favorites, and I think they win this football game by 10 points. Titans win by 10 points. They covered the spread. 
Oh, okay. Well, you know, I, I, I could, I could see, I can see that happening. I can see that happening. Um, so we got the Browns eight and three at the Titans eight and three. The second place Browns visit the AFC South leading Titans. This is a very good matchup of teams positioned to make the playoffs, K-Dog. The Browns come into the game off a 27-25 win over Jacksonville, a game in which the Jags were winning 19-17 in the third quarter and could have, could have uh, sent the game into OT if they could have converted a two-point play. Cleveland racked up over 450 total yards with 207 on the ground with Nick Chubb running for 144 in a TD. Mayfield threw for 250 and two touchdowns and no INTs, which is key for him. The Browns D wasn't great, giving up 140 yards rushing and 235 yards passing and two TDs to Jags backup QB Mike Glennon. Granted, they didn't have Miles Garrett, who was expected to return this week. James Robinson ran for 128 yards and one TD. So I'd be concerned facing Derrick Henry, although the Titans D isn't great. They did play well against the Colts, whose offense is better than the Browns. The Colts dismantled, I mean, the Titans dismantled the Colts last week, as we talked about earlier taking over first place in the AFC South. The Titans were really good on both sides of the ball, running for 229 yards and four TDs behind Derrick Henry's 178 yards and three TDs. Tannehill was pretty good also, throwing for 221 and a touchdown. You know, and that, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the passing game only works when Derrick Henry is running well. Titans held... Uh, indeed, a 56 yards rushing, forcing the Colts to be a one-dimensional team. The Titans played a clean game with no turnovers. Titans routed Cleveland 43-13 to in Cleveland last year. Cleveland ranks first in the NFL in rushing, and the Titans are second. Cleveland ranks 30 in passing, and Tennessee ranks 22. These are two teams in which the effectiveness of their passing game is contingent on the success of their running game. Cleveland's D ranks better than Tennessee, ranking ninth in run defense. Both teams are opportunistic, but Tennessee is second in the NFC with a plus 11 turnover margin. I don't know whether the Titans will have a letdown after last week's win or not, but I'm worried about Tennessee's D to stop the Cleveland run. I'm not a big supporter of Baker and the Browns, but I think this is a trap game for Tennessee. And I think their D will let them down. As a result, I'm picking the Titans to win the game, but the Browns to cover the spread. Titans 24, Browns 21. I think the Titans will control the clock and keep the ball away from Cleveland long enough for the Titans to win a close game, K-Dog. So I'm picking the Titans to win at the game. Wow. Browns to cover 24-21.
Wow. Okay. So we're we're already different. <laughs> already different. I'm getting as, back in it. As Gotta get back in it. We'll move to the four o'clock game, which is the LA Rams taking on the Arizona Cardinals in State Farm Stadium, as State Farm Stadium is now hosting two football teams in the NFC West. And Do I get a 49ers. discount double check for that? Yeah, the 49ers what? and the Cardinals are now playing there as the, the 49ers had to find a new stadium. But the Rams come into State Farm to take on the Cardinals. The Cardinals are led by Kyler Murray, Chase Edmonds, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, and Christian Kirk. So we'll see. I think that their offense is just fantastic. Their defense is led by Patrick Peterson, Buda Baker and company. I think, I think that they're on, they're on a three game losing streak. So I think they'll, they come back harder than ever against the Rams. Jared Goff is leading the Rams into this one with Tyler Higby at a, at tight end, Robert Woods and Cooper cup in the wide receiving core, the rushing game has yet to find its step in Los Angeles with the loss of Todd Gurley. But I think they found their new guy in Cam Akers this last week. He scored a touchdown. I think he's he's going to be the new guy, the rookie. But I think the Cardinals will win this one. They'll cover the spread at plus three, win this game outright. I think they're going to win by a touchdown. You think the Cardinals are going to win the game outright by a touchdown? Yep. Wow. That's, that's, that's bold, bold pick. All right. So we have an NFC West showdown K dog between the second place Rams and the third place Cardinals. This is a must win for Arizona. That will probably be out of the playoff hunt with a loss. Arizona comes into this game on a two-game losing streak on the road to Seattle and New England. The loss to to New England last week was a tough loss for a team battling for a playoff spot. Honestly, Arizona could be on a three-game losing streak if not for the Murray miracle against Buffalo. The Cards are one and three in their last four. Meanwhile, the Rams come into this game off a home loss to the Niners whom they can't beat. The Rams are inconsistent, K-Dog. They're going three and three in their last six games. The loss to the Niners was a big loss for a team looking to win the division. These two teams are meeting for the first of two games remaining this year. These two games against each other will certainly factor in whether either of these teams make the playoffs. The last time these two teams met K-Dog, the Rams won at home 31-24. And actually, the Rams have won the last five games in this series. Kyle Murray is struggling, and so is the Cards offense. Teams are keeping Murray in the pocket, forcing him to throw, and he's struggling to make the passes. The Rams' D will make it difficult on Murray and the Cards' offense, ranking fourth in points allowed and fourth in rush yards allowed. So we have the strength of the Rams' run D versus the strength of the Cards' run offense. But the Cards' running game, with the Cards' running game, 
Meanwhile, the Rams offense is ranked ninth in rushing and 11th in passing. Arizona's run D is bad, K-Dog. It is bad. So this could be the mismatch that the Rams exploit. I think the Rams D will keep the struggling Kyler Murray and the Cards offense in check. I think Jared Goff and the Rams offense will outscore Kyle and the Cards. As a result, K-Dog, I'm picking the Rams to beat the Cards and cover the spread. Rams 24, Cards 17. The Rams keep their playoff hopes alive and the Cards playoff hopes fade. Wow. 24-17 Rams. And again, remember, I picked the Rams to win the NFC West, so I got to pick them in this game, K-Dog. Yeah, that is true. Uh, so we're different on two games already. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. As we move on to our third and last game, this week we are not picking the – we're not picking the Sunday night because that's just an atrocious game. So we'll move on to one of the Monday night football games, and it is the Bills versus the 49ers as the as the 49ers are taking home in State Farm Stadium, as I said before. The Bills have already played there, losing on the, the, the Hale Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. Kyler Murray threw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins. And the Bills lost that game, but they come into State Farm Stadium again with Josh Allen at the helm, 3,028 yards, 22 touchdowns, and eight interceptions. Pretty good. Devin Singletary is the leading running back, complemented by Zach Moss. They they got to step up their rushing game, in my opinion, but the receiving. The wide receiving core is led by Stephon Diggs with a 945 yards and four touchdowns. Also led by Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis. Gabriel Davis is on the come up now with John Brown injured. But uh, on the San Francisco side, Nick Mullins, six touchdowns, seven interceptions in the games he's played. Not that good. Jarek McKinnon for the San Francisco 49ers has been the leading rusher. And for the wide receiving core, it is led by Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But I think the Bills come into State Farm Stadium and win. I'm going to take them plus one at, against the San Francisco 49ers. I'm not sure how they're not the favorites, but San Francisco is a minus one favorite. I'm taking Buffalo plus one. I'm taking the money line. I'm going to take them to win the football game by 10 points. Wow. Buff you think Buffalo is going to win on Monday night by 10 yep. on the road yep. on the West Coast? Wow. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not sure how San Francisco could possibly be favored in this game. But, you know, we got the first place Bills traveling to play the last place 49ers although the 49ers are only one game behind the Cardinals for the last playoff spot you know and if the Cardinals lose as I predict you know that last it's going to get really interesting for that last playoff spot so you know this is a must win game for the 49ers if they want any hope of hanging around and playing some meaningful football the last three four weeks of this season 
you know, the Bills come into the game handling the Chargers 24-17. They led 24-6 in the third quarter before giving up some points. In uh, you know, to make it somewhat interesting at the end of the game, the Bills ran the ball well, amassing 172 yards on the back of Devin Singletary. Josh Allen was okay, well, good. Seven, one, 157 yards, one TD, and one INT. If you can run the ball like that, like the Bills did uh, last week, then you can get away with Josh Allen playing mediocre. Meanwhile, the Niners come into the game off a big win, big win against the Rams, but they always beat the Rams. So, you know, Nick Mullins was, a, was good. He threw for 250 yards, uh, you know, although he had no touchdowns and he an INT, but, you know, this game was uh, won due to the turnovers. So both teams turned the ball over, but the 49ers ha had a deep defensive touchdown, which was the difference. So the 49ers can't expect the Bills to have turnovers like the Rams, and they can't expect to win if they turn the ball over three times. These two teams haven't met since 2016. The Niners are one and four at home, but they're really not going to be home. Very unusual. Uh, San Francisco's D is still pretty good, K-Dog. It's not bad. Mm -hmm. And their offense, you know, Mullins will manage it. Uh, you know, Mullins will manage it. And they can still run the ball fairly well. Buffalo's strength is the passing game. And the Niners have tough pass D, ranking fourth in the NFL. This is the key to the game. Can the Niners pressure Josh Allen into making mistakes? Allen has three INTs in the last two games. And if he turns the ball over, it will be a long day for Buffalo. San Fran is a one-point favorite playing at a neutral field in Arizona. Not sure that makes a difference in the COVID era when there aren't any fans in the stands. I think Buffalo is primarily a one-dimensional team with their offense being pass-centric. Josh Allen hasn't been great lately, has not. Mullins will manage the game. The 49ers will run the ball effectively, and the 49ers' D will keep the Bills' passing game in check and pressure Josh Allen. This results, K-Dog, in the 49ers winning the game. Wow. I'm calling for the Niners to win the game. They keep their playoff hopes alive. 49ers 27, Bills 24. Wow, okay. So, and, wow. and the Bills loss keeps it interesting in the AFC race, keeping the Dolphins around, who will be in range for first place. So, you know, oh, you know, I, I know you're up, you, well, you're home now, but you're up in Buffalo country. So I'm sorry, Bills fans and everybody up there, but you know what? I'm calling for the upset on Monday night. Yeah, uh, that's bold pick, very bold pick. Bold pick. But we, uh, have two, we have three different games. Yeah, we're. Oh we're, we're, yes. So this the is, tides can change. This, this is where I make my move. Yep. So uh, now that we're done with the NFL three-game picks, we'll move on to our. Jets and Giants preview and rewind. And we'll start out with the Jets. 
and the Jets played the Dolphins a very close game throughout, but the Jets only scored on their first drive, a field goal on their first drive, and that was it. But the game was still close regardless. Uh, it was 20-3 to game the Dolphins won. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 257 yards, two touchdowns, zero INTs. On the other side for our home team, Sam Darnold stunk again. 197 yards, zero touchdowns, two INTs, 51 QB passer rating. Frank Gore, somehow for the Jets, is still getting all the carries. 18 carries for 74 yards. Brashard Perriman was the leading wide receiver for the Jets. Four receptions for 79 yards. That's good for 20 yards a reception. I... The Jets just need to keep on losing. They need to keep on losing. They they went 0-11 this week. The Dolphins moved to 7-4 and on the week. But uh, Jets got to keep on losing for Trevor. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. They got to continue. We got the tank for Trevor mantra, and they got to continue to lose, right? So, you know, last we spoke, they were preparing to lose to the Dolphins, you know, and um, we were all anxiously awaiting the return of Sam Darnold, the savior that is going to turn around the Jets' misfortune. Now, I like Sam Darnold. I don't know him, obviously, but he seems like a likable guy. But he's not a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. Maybe a good backup, K-Dog, but he's not a good starting quarterback. The Jets performed as expected last week, losing 20 to. 20 to three to the fins at jet life. I thought Sam would turn over the ball at least two times. And I was correct because he did, you know, Sam passed for less than 200 yards had zero touchdowns and two INTs. He was also sacked three times. So that keeps his sack record going. I know it's not all Sam Darnold's fault. I'd also, uh, you know, it's also dead man walking QB whisperer Adam Gase will be lucky to get a job coaching his local youth football team after he gets fired this season. You know, and Gase comes out this week suggesting he hasn't helped Sam enough. Folks, there is no silver lining with Sam Darnold. He is not any good. Don't be fooled into thinking he uh, didn't have the cast around him. Do you think Joe Burrow and Herbert have a strong cast around them? No. The Chargers head coach Lynn might be as bad as Gates. Yet these two QBs are strong, are showing they are the future. The Jets must go 0-16 and get Trevor Lawrence. They can't win a game. The only way I see Sam Darnold as a jet as the Jet QB next year is if the Jets win a game and get the second pick in the draft. At that point, the Jets will be destined for another decade of losing and should keep Sam Darnold instead of choosing Justin Fields, who will continue with the long line of Ohio State QBs that can't play in the NFL. So, K-Dog, we must lose every game and go 0-16. If the Jets want to get out of this 50 years of misery, that's what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So in the game against Miami, the Jets D was okay. 
uh, considering, you know, the Jets only had 10 first downs for the whole game. So the Jet, you know, the, the Jets D had four sacks. They recovered two fumbles. But, you know, the offense was anemic. And, you know, and it was much better with Flacco at the helm the prior two games. That's for certain. You know, Sam returns and the Jets scored three points. Anyway, this week's game against Vegas, Vegas is a six-point road favorite against the Jets. The Raiders come into this game in a must-win situation, K-Dog. After the six and five Raiders were embarrassed by the Falcons last week, losing 43 to six. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I think the Jets are going to lose by two touchdowns. The line's minus eight. I think uh, the Raiders will cover it. They'll lo- the and the Jets will lose by two touchdowns. Okay. Well, the the Raiders against the Falcons weren't any good last week. No, oh, the Raiders had, were terrible. Yeah, they had 13 first downs. They had five turnovers. I mean, that's that's the story of the game. The Raiders lost four fumbles, and Carr had zero touchdowns and one INT, which was a pick six. Atlanta sacked Carr five times. Five times. The Raiders only rushed for 40 yards, losing star running back Jacobs. But fortunately, the Raiders can get healthy against the Jets this week, K-Dog. The Jets' offense isn't nearly as good as Atlanta's. Darnold isn't Matty Ice Ryan. And Atlanta's running game is better than the Jets'. The Jets can't score 40 points and can't hold any offense to less than 10 points. The last time... These two teams played. The Jets routed the Raiders November 29th, November 2019 at Jet Life 34 to 3. You know, K Dog, I, I still can't believe that that happened. Yeah. That, that the Jets actually beat the Raiders that badly last year. But, you know, um, but that's not going to happen this year. The Raiders are the better team. They remember the beatdown. And now it's time to return the favor. The Jets rank at the bottom of the league in every offense and defensive category, except they're 11th in the league in, in rush D, but that's probably because the opposition has so much success throwing the ball. They don't, they don't really need to run the ball. Meanwhile, the Raiders can put points on the board led by their rushing game that will be without Jacobs. That won't matter, k Dog. Sam Darnold will turn the ball over at least two times. He'll be sacked a few times, and the D will wear down after being on the field for most of the game. Carr to Waller will be the call of the day, K-Dog. That's what you're going to hear all game. Carr mm-hmm. to Waller. Carr to Waller. Uh, I'm looking for the Raiders to win and cover the spread, K-Dog. Raiders win 27-13 over the Jetropolitans. Raiders keep their playoff hopes alive while the Jets are one step closer to Trevor and the defining moment for the Jets franchise. Tank for Trevor. Tank for Trevor. Yep, that's true. So we both have them winning by uh, two touchdowns. You said 27-13, right? I did say 27-13, yes. Okay, so, yeah, we, we have the same. Uh, they're going to win by two touchdowns, we both believe. Cover the spread. Still tanking for Trevor as we move on to the team that shares the stadium with the Jets, and it is the 
NFC East leading Giants as they won last week, 19 to 17, beating the Joe Burrowless Bengals. The the game was intriguing to say the least towards the very end. Daniel Jones had 213 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, but got hurt. That's that's a huge injury for them. As if they have Colt McCoy, it, it might be a rough time in Seattle next week. But uh, Brandon Allen for the Bengals had 136 yards and a touchdown. Wayne Gollum was the running back story of the of the week for the Giants. 94 yards and a touchdown. Evan Ingram had 129 yards on six receptions, which was huge. The scoring was lackluster for both teams, but the Giants sniffed out the win on a strip sack at the end of the game covered by ex-Jet Leonard Williams as they moved into the first place in the NFC East and looked to keep it as they traveled next week to uh, travel to Seattle next week against the Seahawks. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the giants, it, it, at least for as bad as the giants are right. They win that game. They're four and seven. They're in first place in the NFC East. At least, at least it gives New York football fans something of interest. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm glad the Giants got the win, and, and they needed this win against the, the Burlis Bungles. You know, it was a lot closer than I expected, K-Dog. I expected the Giants to win somewhat comfortably. Yeah. But this was a nail-biter with the Giants losing their QB, Danny Dimes, during the game. You know, the Giants won on the, le on the leg of Graham Gano, who was four for four with field goals, making a 49, 40, 39, and 32-yard field goals. So, you know, he was key in this, in this victory. And the Giants' D was really good holding the Bungles to 155 total yards and forcing three turnovers. So, you know, there'd be, the Giants' D has been improving week over week over week. Mm -hmm. um, the Giants also controlled the clock, and they got the must-win they needed because the schedule gets very tough from this point. Starting this week, as they traveled, to Seattle to face MVP candidate Russ Wilson and defensive player of the year candidate Jamal Adams. Well, the Jamal Adams comment is a joke in the event I didn't present it well. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about the Giants and the, uh, the Seahawks this week? Uh, I think the Seahawks are going to win probably by probably by 17 points, 14 points, same as the Jets, I believe. Yeah, well, you know, uh, although the Giants are no longer facing the Bengals and Brendan Allen, you know, it's a whole new ball game, and they got to play with Colt McCoy at QB because Jones is hurt. You know, this is a tall order for the Giants, and a game I didn't think they could win even with Daniel Jones playing. But there's there is always a but, K Dog. There is always a but. Colt McCoy has experience. He started in the league. He's won some games. So mm -hmm. the Giants, so the Giants aren't rolling out Ben Danucci like the Cowboys did. They're, you know, they're putting somebody on the field. That's not good. Don't get me wrong, but he has the experience. He has started games and he has won games in the NFL. 
Mm-hmm. Seattle is five and oh at home though, so they you know they're tough to beat even without fans. You know the problem for the Giants is they don't score a lot of points. They rank toward the bottom of the league in points scored. You know, and that's going to get worse with Colt McCoy. The Giants' strength is running the ball, but Seattle's D, which is bad, is actually good against the run. But again, that's probably because teams throw the ball all over the field against their bad pass defense, which ranks 32 in the league, despite defensive player of the year candidate Jamal Adams, which has really solidified the Hawks' pass defense, as you can tell. The problem is Colt McCoy will not be able to pass the ball well enough, enough K-Dog. Seattle's O is excellent. Third in the NFL in points scored. Russ will be throwing the ball to Metcalf and Lockett. Mix in the run game with Carson. You know, the Giants' D is ranked ninth in the NFL in points allowed, K-Dog. So they have this bend, don't, but don't break mindset. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, their D has improved every year, uh, every week. Their run D is good. The pass D is middle of the road. Not terrible, not great, middle of the road. And, you know, the problem is the Giants won't be able to keep up with the Hawks offense and, you know, Russ Wilson, which will result in their undoing. So I think the Hawks pull away early in the second half. I think it's going to be a close game through the half. I think the Hawks wear the Giants down and pull away early in the second half. And I think they beat the Giants 27 to 10 and they cover the spread. You know, the Hawks maintain first place and the Giants stay in the mix. They look at losing a game most people expect them to lose. But, you know, this loss won't kill them because everybody else in the division is going to lose as well. So, you know, uh, if the Giants could somehow pull this game out, it would be great. It'd be nothing better yeah uh than the giants beating jamal adams and the seahawks there'd be nothing better yeah that would be that would be great i I would love to see that i'd love to see it too but i just don't think it's gonna happen yeah uh we'll see what happens with the the football teams from new york this week as we move on to our next topic which is another edition of the top five Oh, I love top five top five top five top five and this week in the top five we are going since its winter meetings have started, it we're going with top five worst Met free agent signings. Yeah, so we, one of our listeners gave us a suggestion uh, of reviewing the top five best Met free agent signings. But K-Dog and I thought, well, that's a good suggestion, but it'd probably be more fun talking about the Mets top five worst free agent signing. So uh, we're going that route and maybe we'll do the best free agent signings at a later time. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, we might do the best free agents at a better time at a later time with the winter meetings around, but we'll start off this, this week with uh, number five for me, number five, I'm going with Moises Alou for my number five spot. He, the, the Mets signed him to be a veteran. The Mets signed him to be a veteran presence in 2007 to help them win the NL East title. It was a one year, $7.5 million contract, but he tore his quadricep muscle in May, beginning of the season, basically, and missed the next three months of the season. After that, nine different players played in left field 
besides him. He had 318 coming into the in in the first month of the 2007 season, but when he came back, he didn't. He had a decent season, but he missed most of the season, which is not good. So I think that was my number five spot, Moises Alou. He was also very old. I don't know why they gave him that much money, but it's the Mets. So that's my number five. Yeah, that's a good choice, K-Dog. I remember the Moise-Salou signing, and the, and the Mets have, you know, they, they seem to sign these old players in the hope that they can regain some glory. And I remember that was a uh, disaster of a signing. And, you know, by that time, Moise-Salou was well past his prime. And as you said, he was injured, didn't play a lot. So my fifth worst New York Mets free agent signing is Louis Castillo. So Omar Minaya gave Louis Castillo, second baseman, a four-year, $25 million contract in 2007. And Castillo was hist- historically was pretty good. You know, he, he hit around 300, stole a lot of bases. You know, he played above average defense until that is, until he came to the Mets. So in his first season, Castillo played only 87 games in 2008 due to injury and uh, being benched. He hit 245, had 11 and and had 11 extra base hits in 2009. He played better the next year, playing uh, in 142 games, hitting 302, and he stole 20, 20 bases. However, that season, He'll be forever known for dropping A-Rod's pop-up against the Yanks that would have ended the game. Instead, he dropped it. It resulted in two runs scoring, and the Mets lose the game. You know, he'll always be remembered for that, regardless of anything else he did with the Mets. In 2010, he played 86 games. He hit 235 with six extra base hits. Castillo was released in spring training before the 2011 season, ending his major league career. So that's number five on my list, the four-year, $25 million contract that Manaya gave to uh, Louis Castillo. Yeah, so uh, I'll move on to my number four spot. This contract would be higher for me if I were – like alive to see him play, but it's going to be, he might be on your list. It's going to be my number four spots, Bobby Bonilla. I picked him because all the Mets fans are still, uh, they still every year he's getting paid a million dollars. It's going to happen for until 20, 2035. So the Mets made a bad choice with this one. He signed a five-year $29 million contract for the Mets, but his his tenure for the Mets could not be any worse. He had a decent first few years, but then in 1999, he had a 160 batting average with four home runs and 18 RBIs, and he was on the bench for most of the season. So this is my number four spot. Hopefully Steve Cohen makes a Bobby Bonilla day a, a circus now. Uh, giving out t-shirts he says so that's my number four spot okay well you know what I didn't even put Benny in my top five K-Dog oh, okay. and, 
and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you why, you know, and everybody makes a joke about Bobby Bonilla Day and he gets that 1 million every July 1st. You know what? But at least he played. Yeah. At least he, at least he played, you know, and he was halfway decent, as you said, for, you know, the first couple of years, right? So he played five years for the Mets. He hit 270, not bad, 95 homers, and he had 295 ribbies. Not great for, considering for what he signed for, but at least he played. Yep. So in, in my, my top five and my number one, you know, the, the, these people didn't even, you know, some of them didn't even play, right? So, yeah. uh, so that's why I'm giving Benea a pass uh, in my top five. So my number four, K-Dog, my number four is Vince Coleman, also known as Vincent Van Gogh, a speedy outfielder that helped the St. Louis Cardinals win the World Series. The Mets signed Coleman to a four-year $12 million contract in 1991. Coleman was expected to replace Daryl Strawberry in the outfield, which was mistake number one because Strawberry was a power hitter and, you know, Coleman was a base stealer. So they, they weren't even, you know, in the same class. So Coleman was with St. Louis for six years before coming to the Mets. Other than having speed, he really wasn't very good in the first place. But the Mets were just desperate to uh, sign a big free agent to make the fans forget about Straw, uh, you know, going to the, the Dodgers, which was really a good thing for the Mets because Straw had his own problems and he, he was basically done anyway. But Coleman, he hit, what he hit with St. Louis, he only hit 265. He had 15 home runs, 217 ribbies. You know, but again, he was a base stealer and he had 549 stolen bases during that time mm -hmm. with with the um, the St. Louis Cardinals. So, you know, the Mets overpaid for him to begin with because he wasn't that good. So Coleman comes to the Mets, you know, for three years. He hit 270. OK, so that's aligned with what he did with St. Louis. He had 63 RBIs in three years, which which is terrible. He had five homers and he had a significant drop off in stolen bases with only 99 over three years. So Coleman not only didn't perform on, you know, he performed poorly on the field, but he was also bad influence in the clubhouse. He was a bad guy in the clubhouse. And at the time, the Mets had probably one of the worst clubhouses in Major League Baseball. And Coleman was frequently in trouble. He had legal trouble, you know, and his career finally came to an end with the Mets uh, when, you know, he got into legal trouble in L.A. after injuring children in a fireworks incident. So, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of ended his career with the Mets. And then I think after the Mets, he went to the Royals, you know, after his time with the Mets. But, you know, he he wasn't any good on the field. He was a troublemaker off the field. He was bad influence in the in the clubhouse, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about him in the clubhouse and, you know, some of the things he was doing on and off the field. So again, my number four, Vince Coleman, another big bust for the Mets. Yep. So, uh, I'll move on to my number three spot. Uh, I, 
Uh, it's going to be uh, a more recent one. It's going to be Jason Bay for the Mets. The Mets signed Jason Bay to a four-year, $66 million contract in the uh, 2010 season as they thought he would be good coming from the Red Sox. But he, he was just terrible. He had he batted 259 with six home runs and 47 RBIs in 2010. And then a concussion ended his season that year. He didn't produce any better in 2011 with a 245 batting average, 12 home runs, and only 57 RBIs. Uh, and then he just dropped off like a rock and uh, no one heard from him again. So Jason Bay, my number three spot, terrible signing. Yeah, I had Jason Bay as my number two in my okay. number two spot, K-Dog. You know, before he came to the Mets, he typically hit 300 with 30 homers. He was rookie of the year, three-time All-Star. He was coming off his best year, finishing seventh in the MVP race, hitting 36 homers before the Mets signed him to that four-year $66 million. And you already talked about his pathetic up when he came to the Mets and then he got hurt right um you know and and things just got worse for him because the Mets fans were merciless when he got up to bat um you know he uh this he was playing on a team that was supposed to compete they only won 79 games you know they had David Wright Reyes in their primes Johan and K-Rod and um you know it just it just did not work out for Jason Bay with the Mets. You talked about uh, his statistics. The Mets cut him loose after 2012. He played 68 games for the Mariners before they released him during the 2013 season, you know, and he never played in the MLB again. Old number 44 never panned out. Big bust Jason Bay. I had him at number two. Number two. So uh, what's your number three spot? My number three spot is George Foster. So the Mets, this was a little bit before your time, but the Mets signed the former big red machine outfielder in 1982 for 10 million over five years. So in 1982, K-Dog, 10 million was big, big money for a free agent, right? It's not like, you know, 10 million now. Yeah. If you can hold the bat, you get 10 million over, uh, you know, two <laughs> years. But back then in 82, that was big money. So Foster played 11 years with the Cincinnati Reds before coming to the Mets. The Mets were looking for legitimacy in the early 80s after years of losing. Foster, the power hitting left fielder, amassed 244 homers, 861 RBIs, and he hit 286 in 11 years with the Reds before coming to the Mets. So Foster put up these big numbers before steroids. So, you know, these were these back then, these were big numbers, K-Dog. Mm-hmm. Not like today where everything's inflated because they're on roids and everything else that's going on. But Foster was an MVP and a five-time All-Star. Foster played for the Mets from 82 into 86. You know, during that time, his numbers weren't awful. He hit 99 homers. He had 361 ribbies, 
but he only hit 250 mm -hmm. and you know he was making 10 million back in 82 so you know that those, those weren't the numbers people expected because he was one of the highest paid players in the MLB so you know Foster may have been misunderstood but he was deemed to be a problem in the clubhouse didn't get along with the you know other his teammates in the clubhouse you know at least that's what was always promoted you know, and his Mets career finally came to an end during the 86 season when he accused manager Davey Johnson for not playing him due to race. You know, that was the end for Foster with the Mets and the, you know, and the Mets then, you know, cut him loose. And then the Mets went on to win the World Series in 86. So George Foster, outfielder for the Mets, number three signing in 1982 for 10 million over five years. Okay, so I'll go to my number two spot now, and it is uh, I'm going with a, a recent one, Yoannis Suspidis at my number two spot. Yeah, I was gonna throw Boar Man into the mix, but eh, yeah, so, a, for me, there were just other people that were, were worse. Yeah, so I picked him at my number two spot. The the Mets, I don't I don't know what they did with this one. I know he brought the Mets he basically brought the Mets to the playoffs that year, uh, getting him in the, in the trade deadline from the athletics. But after that, Cespedes just fell off the, fell off a cliff uh, for the Mets. It was just, it was terrible. He received a four year, $110 million contract for the Mets. And he basically played uh, like nothing he played uh, he played 119 games uh through his first two seasons and he got injured once again after that he was just it was just he always got injured never healthy to stay on the field and when he did stay on the field as we saw this year he quit on the Mets and he was partying and stuff so Number two spot, Ioannis Cespedes, uh, terrible contract. Yes, Ioannis Cespedes was not a good signing. I didn't want the Mets to sign Cespedes because he's a dog, right? He's one of these players that is really skilled and talented, but, you know, isn't motivated, doesn't come to the field every day to play his hardest. Yeah, he did bring the Mets. He, the Mets, he caught lightning in a bottle with the Mets during that season, bringing them to the playoffs. And, you know, he was playing for a contract, so he so he, he played hard. But once he got his contract, he dogged it. Uh, I think most of his his injuries, um, you know, he's plagued by injuries, and whether he could really play or not, who knows? You got to you got to believe that he was really injured. But you know, he he dogged it. He didn't work hard, and uh, he didn't come to the stadium every day with his best after he signed his big contract. So, you know, he was a head case and um, was more interested in extracurricular activities than, you know, earning his salary. So good riddance to a poor man. And uh, you probably never see him in the major league, major leagues again. Yeah, no, I think his time is up, but uh, I'll move to my number one spot now. And it is the most recent contract for the Mets that went terribly wrong. And it is Jed Lowry. As <laughs> You and I have the same number one. Yeah, so we have the same number one. Jed Lowry, they signed him from the Athletics on a two-year, $20 million contract. 
including a $5 million signing bonus. All the money was guaranteed, $25 million guaranteed, and he played seven total at-bats for the Mets in two years, seven at-bats. You see, see, that's why, you know, Mets fans, can, you know, they can beat up Bobby Bonilla all they want. But, you know, my foreshadowing was at least he played. Yeah. This, mean, this, this is just it. I he he made twenty five million dollars for doing nothing. Well, yeah. So, you know, that's why Lowry has to be the number one, because, you know, not that anyone expected him to be any good. I mean, I. I, I didn't really expect him to be like, a, you know, he's going to be the savior and be this great player. You know, he was a, he was a bargain basement free agent signing by Brody. Thank goodness Brody's gone. And that's why he is gone. You know, they signed him to play third base ahead of the 2019 season, you know, because they had a big void there and they expected that they needed to, to, to fill the void, you know, and uh, you know, Lowry, who, he, like you said, he essentially got paid to do nothing, you know, and like I've said before, I'll say it again, Lowry stole more money from the Wilpons than Bernie Madoff. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this guy really stole money from the Mets because he didn't earn a penny of the money. You, you talked about his $2 million deal over two years, you know, and before they signed, before they signed him, he was respectable. He played over 150 games each season he hit 272, he had 37 homers, eight, 86 doubles. Not bad for a, you know, a bargain basement free agent. But with the Mets, he was a complete disaster. He couldn't play the field due to injury. So he was limited, as you said, to you know eight plate appearances. And he struck out four times. He did get a walk, though. So um, you know, that, that's pretty good. So you paid $22 million, uh, $20 million for a walk. A walk this and guy, four strikes. This guy was a complete. This guy was a complete fraud, K Dog. You know, um, so that's that's why he has to be number one. Um, you know, because he he was he was the ultimate zero with the Mets. I mean, the ultimate zero with the Mets, who got paid twenty million, as you stated, for doing nothing, for doing nothing. So actually. He's my idol because I wish I could figure out how to make $20 million in two years for doing actually nothing, right? Yeah. So maybe he'll become a motivational speaker. You'll pay to hear him talk, but he won't show up. I don't know. He's <laughs> hey, This guy's my idol. You get yeah. paid $20 bucks for doing nothing? Yeah, it, that, that's got to be the worst of all time. It's like, the worst it, of all time. That's terrible. Uh, thank God Brody's gone, though. So, oh gosh, Jed Lowry will live in infamy. I don't even think people even know what number he wore, but it should be zero because he's a zero. Yeah. So, uh, thank God he's gone. He's gone. Uh, Brody's that, that, gone. That just, that just sums up the Mets. I mean, that just sums up the Mets. Yeah. So, that was terrible. That was our top five worst Mets free agent signings. As we'll move on to our final topic of the day, which is K Dog's Fantasy Minute. Oh, I love K-Dog's Fantasy Man. I can't wait for this. And week 12, we won once again, 135 to 81. You won again? Moving us to 9-3 and on the season. 
wow, nine and three on the season. You're on fire, dog. Yeah, we, we're going off. We're getting ready for the playoffs. Uh, my performer of the week was uh, the man himself, Tyreek Hill. 13 receptions, 269 yards, three touchdowns, good for 51.4 points. Yeah. By he, himself. He he just he toasted the Buccaneers secondary. Yeah, he's he basically single-handedly beat uh beat uh the team I played against. So uh, 51.4 points. Another performer of the week, uh Justin Jefferson. He's coming into his own offensive rookie of the year. He should be. He should definitely be offensive rookie of the year. Seven yeah, receptions. What, co- what, what college did he come from? Oh, you already know LSU. Okay. Uh, Got to get that plug in there. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a national champion, and now he's going to move on to be offensive rookie of the year. Twenty two and a half points from the Jet, and then we'll move on to uh, my loser of the week. It was Le'Veon Bell, four point two points. Uh, <laughs> not good at all. Um, uh, Poor Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, my surprise of the week was uh, Saints defense, fourteen points once again. They just keep on bringing in the numbers for they, they, they got to stop being your surprise of the week because you know what? Their defense over the last few weeks has been sensational and they're racking up big time fantasy points for you. Yeah. So, uh, not my maybe, but not really. Uh, so we moved to nine and three on the week. We'll try and move to 10 and three on the week next week. Uh, one week away from one week away from the playoffs. Next week is the final week of the regular season. We'll move into the playoffs next week, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, but that's it from the seller today. And here's what we're going to do.